0: Alive and Kicking is proudly supported by Classic Football Shirts, the home of classic, rare and retro football shirts. For 100% genuine non-reproduction retro shirts, head to classicfootballshirts.co.uk and use the bonus code AK90s to receive a 10% discount on your order.
1: Welcome to Alive and in, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than a night out with Hugh Grant and Divine Brown. I'm Ash Rose and welcome to a, a much more prepared pod this week after last week's put together at the last minute show. Uh, thankfully it came out very well, thanks to again to Paddy and Joel for their efforts once more. Uh, but this week we're continuing our countdown towards our team of the 90s pod, uh, which will be at the end of the year, and we're talking about midfielders. Um, if you missed our first show, which we did in this series on strikers, which was a couple of weeks ago, um, you can go back on iTunes and check it out there. We discussed the best strikers. Of the 90s, and the guys in the studio pick their best, and then we come up with a shortlist of our own, which you can check out, which is on ak90s.co.uk, where we've got a shortlist of five. Uh, We'll be doing the same tonight when we talk about midfielders, we'll do defenders next week, and then goalies, and then finally, we'll put all the shortlists together, and the guys. We'll discuss, we'll pick our team of the 90s on the last pod of the year, which will be on the 21st. So, yeah, if you want to check the previous Strikers pod out, it's available on iTunes with the rest. Uh, Before we meet tonight's guest, though, who will be discussing midfielders, here's everything you need to know about us on the social media. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at, at AK90s. And tomorrow, watch out, because we're going to get all Christmassy from tomorrow and do our own 90s football advent calendar. Uh, For anyone who who followed the feed before the podcast when it was just the book, uh, we did the same sort of thing last year. So basically every day I'll post a picture up there of some Christmas-related 90s footballer image uh, on your timeline every day. So they uh, usually some familiar faces dressed in Santa outfits and things like that. So have a look on your timeline. We'll go all the way up to the 25th and get all Christmassy from tomorrow. And talking of Christmas, yes, here it comes. Here's the cheap plug. If you are shopping for the ideal present for your 19's loving friend, or you just want a Christmas present for yourself, why not, eh? the, the book which this podcast is spawned from is available. Um, it's on the Twitter profile page. If you just look at the links on there, it's a link to the Amazon link. Uh, but I will plug it again on the main page if you want to check the book out and uh, put it on your Christmas list. Uh, it be much appreciated. Uh, as I said, if you do want to listen back to any of the previous episodes as well, just go onto iTunes, type in Alive and Kick In, or head to ak90s.co.uk. We're on SoundCloud as well, so get your 90s fix there. But on to tonight's guest then. First, we welcome back uh, author and writer from The Guardian. I think you were last on Memorable Matches, wasn't it? If I remember right. Of course, yeah. Yeah, That's right. it's Ashley nakrani Good evening.
2: Thank you, thanks for having he's me You've got on. a
1: bit of a cold, haven't you? I've
2: got a horrific cold.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Hopefully laughs> so he's a right trooper coming in, so there's a little bit of a sneeze going yeah. on, you know. He's got a, a bottle
2: of water. He's got there. a bottle of
1: water. Uh, just need a bit of sit really. Mm. Uh, then we have two new voices, and we've kind of put them together, but we're separating kind of North London rivalry in front of me, actually, from either side. So representing Tottenham, and from the Echoes of Glory podcast, welcome Andy Ruckle. Good evening. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and a regular voice on for anyone listening to the Arsenal podcast uh, and founder of the brilliant play with a legend. It's Josh Landy.
3: How you doing Ash? Good to be here. Good to be. Uh, just a
1: quick word on play with a legend. Yes. Cause it's right up our street. Absolutely. Just explain uh, what that is No problem it's a, it's a brilliant little company you've got going there
3: That's very kind Play with the legend is me and Perry Grove He's <laughs> a former Arsenal hero Although I should mention as a little thing before we start I, My first Arsenal game was 1993 So anything until 93 tonight I'm ruling myself out <laughs> Which means I never saw Perry play for Arsenal Because of course he left in 1992 But we started the company with the ITV I had to organise my best mate Stag And I thought what is the most amazing thing I could possibly do for him And his absolute childhood hero was Nigel Winterburn who was... You know, Arsenal's left back mm-hmm. for so many years My mate used to play left back in our team So for his stag we organised Nigel Winterburn came along And played football with, you know 20 of us in a, you know, a non-league stadium We just had the most amazing day Perry came as a favour to me And played on the other team And then from there people went Can you do it for us? Can you do it for mm-hmm. us? So I left behind the world we met in In sports TV <laughs> exactly, production yeah. And uh, I moved on to doing this So it's great fun so we work with about 80 former players Many of them, you know, 90s Premier League mm-hmm. players well,
1: That's where we're going to say Get them on the show, Josh Well, we'll, we'll, we'll find <laughs>
3: Away and um, and it's gone from there really. But um, yeah, and how also- can people
1: find out about this brilliant scheme?
3: It's a big secret. There's no, no information <laughs> online. I'm joking. It's uh, at Play With a Legend on Twitter or PlayWithALegend So loads of stag's birthdays, corporate charity yeah. events, whatever you want.
1: Great, well, and also guys, feel free to plug anything I just I've ordered to make people aware of that Because it's a great scheme and uh, right up the 90s alley Right, before we do our CVs Here's a few things that happened in the 90s this week 30th of November 1992 You might have seen it on our Twitter time earlier UEFA awarded England the 1996 European Championships uh, On the same day in 1999 May United won the Intercontinental Cup With a 1-0 over Palmeiras Whatever happened to that trophy? 1st December 1994 Vinnie Jones is called up to the Wales squad for the first time Not sure what relative he pulled in for that one 4th of December 1993, the late Howard Kendall resigns as Everton's manager. And on the 6th of December 1992, Eric Cantona made his Man United debut in a 2-1 win over Man City. So before we dig into our midfielders then, um, we're going to do a quick few CVs. sasha you've been on before, mm. and usually the second time we do matches, but we did that with you before when you are on the pod. So we're going to move you to goals. So you're a Liverpool fan. Best Liverpool goal of the 90s?
2: Yeah, I'm going to pick one which uh, many people... May not know about It's not a particularly famous goal But it's a Robbie Fowler goal Against Aston Villa In March 1996 Half's kit The the green and the white No it's not that one. No, oh. no. Well that's the kit from that year But it's not that It's okay. from a league game a 3-0 win in March ninety six. Liverpool were three up After eight minutes Fowler uh, Had his back towards goal Seaman Madden Rolled the ball into him With his left foot He touched it around Steve Staunton It was kind of up against him And then In an instant Hit this unbelievable Shot which swerved away From Mark Bosnich And into the Um into the far corner of the net at the cop end. I mean, if you type Robbie Fowler, Aston Villa, mm. the first goal that comes up. is I think this goal is quite well-known among Liverpool fans. But the reason I picked it, as I said, it wasn't particularly significant, it didn't lead to anything uh, in itself. But I think it just, first of all, it, first of all, it was a great goal. If you see, you know, when you watch it, you'll sort of agree that it's a great goal. Second, it was sort of peak foul. It was foul, it was who's arguably Liverpool's most exciting player of the decade. And it was him at his very best uh, in, in terms of his form at the time But that moment In terms of showing What he's all about His sort of ingenuity And his, and his finishing abilities And thirdly, I think he just summed up Liverpool from that time as I just said yeah. They were three up After eight minutes And that team was Massively flawed defensively As we spoke about When I came on last time But when they got going When they were attacking At their best They were brilliant And they, and they were just Thrilling that afternoon And I think that goal Sort of summed up Their sort of Pace and verve on, on the attack. So yeah, my favourite Liverpool goal. In Good choice. And
1: then outside of Anfield, your favourite nineties goal is it one we talked about on the pod already? Or? It's
2: not. No, I'm gonna, I've got his name written down, so I always forget his <laughs> full name. It is Francois Omambique Oh, okay. Who yeah, you probably know he scored um, Cameroon's goal in
1: nineteen
2: ninety. Nineteen ninety-eight. Just at the start of the decade. Uh, yeah, the, the goal against Argentina, which uh, which led to Cameroon winning one nil. Uh, I think it was in Milan. Might be the yeah, only game that World yeah. Cup. Quite simple, really. I was eight at the time. It was my first World Cup. My um, first, obviously, moment of watching a World mm. Cup as well because it was the opening game. I, you know, I didn't know much about this Argentina team, but I knew who Diego Maradona was. They were Even meant less to- about the Cameroon <laughs> team. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they were meant to win by four or five, and it was this amazing shock, and it just completely elevated my excitement in international football and football from beyond Britain and yeah I was just hooked from sort of football on a global scale after that game so yeah. I it. it was actually a rubbish goal I watched it again this afternoon Heads yeah I remember it yeah, and yeah. Spills I remember
1: the celebration there were jumps on him yeah. as well I remember yeah. Really. yeah, and we talked about that on our Italian 90 pod if you go back on iTunes right, and, and check that out right to the new guys we go to our original questions because we've had Arsenal and Tottenham quite a lot I'm going to kind of skip the sum up because I think we've done it quite a lot with, with both if you've listened so we'll stick to the players so we've spoke to Josh already so let's continue your best 90s Arsenal player then? Is it going to be Perry Groves?
3: It's not Perry. Um, (laughs) Oh, poor Perry. He just misses out (laughs) to I'm sure he'd admit that uh, a slightly more revered um, player perhaps in Dennis Bergkamp who I think, you know, I was just getting into football, so I was eight years old when he signed for Arsenal in 1995, but even then you were aware something a little yeah. bit different was going on. And I was looking back at the lineup in his first ever game for Arsenal in, in the brief uh, preparation number today. That's right, I like and that. You, and you notice he's the only, he is the only foreign yeah. player, you know, he's the only non-British you know, player, and that, and that still you have to remember what it was like to have a foreign mm. player come. And not just a foreign player, someone in, you know, his prime, someone who'd come from another big club, into Milan, yeah. hadn't done brilliantly there, but you know, was such a man. And, and what it meant and all the Arsenal fans who I knew that were older than me and my dad's generation who were so excited about what it meant for Arsenal to be signing a, a world-class player and then of course it, you know, it took a bit of time for him to score I think it was seven or eight games but he did and it, it was just an amazing season which was capped off with a goal he scored against Bolton on the final day that took us into what was then the UEFA Cup mm-hmm. And we haven't really been out of European competition since. And it's been, uh, you know, he was just by far a class above everything yeah, else.
1: Best, as we always say, and it's best thing Borussia Riok ever did for Arsenal, sure. Yeah. say
3: on Bergkamp,
2: I interviewed Robert Perez a few weeks yeah. ago and I asked him who the best player he played with at Arsenal. And in an instant,
1: he said Dennis I think they all, I think you speak to anyone from that yeah. era as well. I think just immediately, you know, not on not VN, yeah. but Just said immediately, Dennis yeah. I always, I've said a million times on this podcast, that I think he's the best overseas player the Premier League's ever seen. Just genuine world class. Outside of uh, what we say Highbury Outside of Highbury Best 90s player for you?
3: The best 90s player Well I guess again the, you, you often remember Your first tournament But like yeah. Sachin was saying And it, for that it's Euro 96 And for that it's Gaza Yeah Just because of you know, He was different He was the exciting one He was the one Everyone in the playground Would want to be The goal against You know Scotland Will just be forever My mm. first international goal That I'll You know Tournament goal That I will just Never ever forget And it's Adorned, you know, everywhere you see. I've even got. There's a brilliant art of football. I don't know if you yes, come across. yeah, it. I've got a Sinclair T-shirt myself. <laughs> so I've got, I've got the Gaza one, and I yeah. bought it as like when I went to the World Cup in Brazil last year because I thought, what is that one moment that made you fall in love with international football in England, and it w- and it was that.
1: Yeah, good choice. I'm sure his name will come up once we talk midfielders because there's not many better than Gaza. Then onto the lane. Then, as I said, we're not summing up because I think a Spurs fan came on and, sp- and summed up the 90s as Spursy, and I don't think you could find a better way to say Spurs than Spursy. Yeah, it's very good So we'll go to your player then Your favourite Spurs player of the 90s For me,
4: Jürgen Klinsmann Mm -hmm. um, He was so fantastic even in such a short space of time Uh, 94-95, he had that one full season And then he came back a few years later To help us out of the mire Um, He probably gave more effort and more quality In that short space of time Than a lot of players did across the rest of the decade Yes. a world-class player Arguably the best in his field at the time And he just gave everything, every moment of the...
1: Yeah, we spoke about him last week actually on our um, Foreign Legion podcast and said that it was the biggest thing about Klinsman coming to the Premier League because he was very much in his prime. As a Spurs fan, he must have been blown away by that.
4: Utterly. It was just so refreshing to see a player Mm. of that quality and the work rate he put in. I mean, he played almost every minute of the season. He missed one game and the two games he was substituted, he was stretched off. Mm. Uh, unconscious So he couldn't give any more for Yeah For the no, side Great
1: great memories From the 90s And outside of the lane then Who would you go for 90s player I struggle with this I wrestled over If this had
4: been 95 to 2005 <laughs> Podcast Paul Scholes would have Won yep. by country mile um, So I think I'm going to go With Matt Latissier. Okay he just on here, yeah. Everything that I would have Wanted about a player uh, At Tottenham I mean he scored Goals of just Such quality and in numbers as well. I mean the first three years of that Premier League season he scored over seventy
1: goals. Yeah. Um, so he really was on fire then. Good choice, good choice. He actually that brings me nicely to the first one we're going to do um, talking of midfielders, because he was classed as a midfielder in one of the teams of the season, which is a bit random for Matt Letitia, but I think they want to shoon him in. But basically what I've got in front of me, a bit like how we did with the strikers podcast where I did the top scorers, I've got all the players who were included in the PFA Team of the Year. Um, so I'm going to quickly run through these. So, 91, you had Strachan, Gascoigne, Townsend, and Barnes. 92, Houghton, McAllister, Townsend. 93, Keane, Speed, Ince, Giggs. 94, Ince, McAllister, Batty. 95 was Sherwood and Ince and Matletissé was in there. 96, Stone League, Hullett and Janola. 97, Beckham, Keane, Batty, McManaman. 98, Beckham, but, Batty, Giggs. And then 99, Beckham, Petit, Vieira and Genola. And um, what I did last time on the pod, I... I uh, throw the list round to each of the guests And we just picked out one of those players That we kind of wanted to talk about So I'm going to do that again um, I think you've got the list there haven't you? So is anyone the first to start with you Who you'd pick out first Who you'd like to just A little memory or a little opinion Of, of those midfielders that were awarded
2: Well I'll have to go with John Barnes I? For obvious <laughs> reasons uh, Well first of all he was a childhood hero He did play for Liverpool But actually I think the reason I want to pick him out Specifically is because when you talk about Barnes In the 90s mm. He was a very different player to what he was yeah. in the 80s In the 80s he was that incredible winger Who arguably for two years was one of the best players in the world In the 90s he got a, a really bad injury at the start of the decade um, Didn't play a lot for the first couple of years And then when he got back in he, he, wasn't, he just couldn't be the player he was But he adapted his game And actually became a fantastic holding midfield player And uh, In the, sort of the Roy Evans team of the mid-90s When Liverpool won the, League Cup, the Coca-Cola Cup As it was known then yeah. he, was, he was a holding midfielder in a 3-5-2 formation Alongside Jamie Redknapp which then allowed Stephen Madman to have a free role. And I can't think of many other players who have gone from, you know, marauding, mm. phenomenally creative, brilliant winger to excellent, intelligent, disciplined, holding midfield. I can't think many have made that transition and he yeah. did it. And he did it fantastically. And um, yeah, adds for the fact that, yeah. you know. Do you think
1: he's th- sort of later 90s? Kind of England career, especially clouds the vision of how good John Barnes even in like he was in the team in the year in 1991 how good he was even in the early 90s. Do you think that's what we some people remember more than how good he was? Yeah, I think the England his England career is a huge cloud
2: over yeah. over his sort of legacy in a way because he, he never really did it. Although I think the argument put in his defence is that he was a player who you know was a very sort of cultured player who wanted time on the ball mm. he wanted to be in a team that sort of passed and moved which he had at Liverpool and when he came through the England team they didn't play like that they wanted but it was quite a direct yeah. size. so it didn't really suit his game then obviously he got loads of injuries which curtailed him as well um, so I think obviously for people who are non-Liverpool fans you know fair enough if, if they view Barnes in a different way but I think I thought Liverpool fans in particular just absolutely adored him. But as I said, not just because of what he did in the, you know, when he was at his peak, but how he adapted his game. In the adapted 90s, his game, yeah.
1: absolutely. Josh, who are you going to pick out from that lineup?
3: Well, there is actually a disappointing amount of Arsenal players. There is it. actually until you get yeah, to the, the until Latin you get areas, to yeah. 1999, where perhaps appropriately, Petit and Vieira yeah. are found there together, which is you know reflective of what they were. They were such a, a wonderful pairing that, that complemented each other and were so responsible for that first league title under under Arsene Wenger in 1998 that you know Arsenal went on and became probably the the best team you know in the country for that four or five year period and uh, Vieira I guess obviously of the two was the one that went on to become sort of club captain and incredibly revered and, and still puzzles a lot of people why he isn't involved at the club now and why, why we sort of stood by and let Manchester City and now New York um, City and New York City <laughs> you know benefit from, from his expertise but Vieira w- was everything you would you would have wanted he just felt like whenever you're going into battle he was someone you wanted to, to be there with you when other players from that era speak about what it was like to face arsenal it was a feeling that they had leaders that yeah. they had tony abbo they had patrick Vieira as a symbol of everything that was going to be tough and difficult of a game against arsenal which again is something we've accused of of not having in recent years haven't had that strength and power and f- physique in the middle of the park he was you know weak in the sense that he would let you down occasionally with sending offs and petulance that mm-hmm would let the team down because there was no one in the squad that would be able to replace him on the same level but that was all really that could be you know thrown at him he would even pop up with the occasional goal and he was just absolutely everything you'd want in a centre midfield I think him and Roy Keane at the time were you know brilliant the the best of enemies I thought they brought out the best of each other those games in the late 90s were just you know Keane versus Vieira fights physical and the tunnel was always the best part wasn't it it watching them
1: come out the tunnel and stare each other down was one of the 90s highlights definitely
3: it was and i think probably into the into the 2000s not that we'll talk about that here but Vieira just absolutely you know my my favorite sentiment fielder of of my lifetime Mm -hmm. so
1: definitely, he's Just the a one to mention. tiny word on Petit though, I think he's, he kind of gets a little bit forgotten in in a way, doesn't he? Because so good Vereo was, was. a but... few
3: features on that because as with Bergkamp we had the best years of him mm. and so too with Vieira and that was shown when he later came back with Juventus and Fabregas had a great night against him and it was almost like, you know what, we had the best of him with Petit there wasn't that feeling, he went off and, and played for Barcelona and didn't do that well at Barcelona, yeah. had sort of an awkward year before then coming back to Chelsea and you know his career didn't reach the heights that it he surely would have done had he remained at, at arsenal and maybe it's in that respect he's not as not as loved and remembered in quite the same way because we did lose him still in his peak and presumably as so many under arsène Wenger you know went to find other clubs that would perhaps um, pay them more or <laughs> be, be more appealing at the time and didn't yep. stick it out for being part of what was a very successful period at Arsenal mm. it's interesting that they were not in the team
1: in 98 but in 99 which is quite strange so it's Man United won everything in 99 and you won the league in 98 Strange, but I know that how, it shows how early the PFA yeah, vote doesn't strange. it I suppose we he oh, was going to say
2: Oh, I just want to say, Petit uh, could have joined Spurs, couldn't he? Isn't that story mm. that he went to speak Spurs and then uh, was it Alan Sugar paid for his ta- taxi to go to Highbury, which is just one of the most strangest things in <laughs> modern football?
1: <laughs> Only at Spurs.
3: It's <laughs> a travel card or whatever happens. The, the other thing to remember just on on the mentioning of that 99 issue is that is a symbolic of... What perhaps people thought was about to happen in 1999? Yeah, if you take a, the, the league title was within Arsenal's grasp before yeah. losing it. League semi final and that yeah. semi final with a slightly yeah. memorable goal. Yeah. so it could have been so different. Yeah, and who are you going for?
4: I'm going to go for Roy Keane. Okay, um, that list included Ince and Batty, who made it three times. I know
1: that was the most surprising thing that they had got combative it. Combative
4: player, yeah. it's a kind of players' players' mentality. Isn't yeah, the guys who work that hard. Um, but the quality as well of Keane. I mean, he was just a, a leader. I think that first season he makes makes the squad was actually as a Forest player, and that would have been the year they went down.
1: Yeah, which so shows he, you
4: exactly it shows what a leader he was. And United went and paid top money for him, and he went on to in you know innumerate success at United, um, and really did lead that side and, and grabbed them and took over the mantle from Brian Robson in yeah. many ways.
1: Yeah, I think Keane is definitely one that we'll talk. More excessively about Well we could do it right now I mean Roy Keane is Somewhat symbol of the Knights We mentioned Vieira Battles Do you think um, We mentioned this before On on here as well with, uh, with players that become pundits Especially with Alan Shearer And Michael Owen Whereas they've become Slightly mundane Do you think Keane's Carried on the same character That's throw it out to you Josh The same character that he had On the pitch Into punditry And that's kind of helped him Remember the player we, That he
3: was I think he's Found a, a personality That works for mm. Uh, A wrestling gimmick, I like to call it. Yeah, for the media. I mean, it was uh, Mark Pugach was doing the ITV uh, Champions League highlights with him on ITV the other night, and he was asked about... Did he think Arsenal would go and do it in Olympiacos? And we all knew the answer before he even <laughs> gave it. He was going to no, know they don't have enough leaders. There's no bottle. Of course, they're going to throw it away. So he's taken this kind of hard man attitude into his punditry of no nonsense. Of you know the sort of guy that would oppose the idea of glove wearing on a football pitch or on a cold snood. December, Or a snood. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it fits. He, he is you know I guess representative of, of the sort of player he was. But you sort of wonder what it's really like because I've asked a few people in the game if he's you know behind closed doors. Do you get that? And the answer is no. So I, I think there is an element of you know what he wants people to, to be he's perceive persona, of yeah. him and the reality. But uh, you know a great respect for you know a wonderful player that was, as you say, symbolic of those big Arsenal yeah.
1: when United games. Yeah. Those uh, Anders also also a Liverpool fan. He battled with, with Roy Keane in the nineties. As Andy said, there's very you know you've got your batties in there, your butts, your ins. What made Keane Probably better as a, In that role Than the rest I think just because Of the amount of trophies He won essentially
2: mm. I mean I would say Yeah He was my Although I mentioned Barnes Before I think for me He was the best Premier League midfielder In the 90s mm. I think he was just An absolute uh, He was an epic footballer And that performance In Turin in 99 has to be one of the best yeah. Individual displays Of the decade as well I think yeah Just because he won so much And to hold his own In that team uh, for, for as long as he did In that Man United team Where obviously it's So competitive was was great and he had he just had a lot of energy. Obviously, he was great tackle. You know, was a great tackler. He was great defensive. Mm-hmm. He could get forward. He scored quite a few goals. I would suggest in that team as well. And I'm I'm quite intrigued to see how he'd have done abroad actually because yeah. there was talk he was going to go abroad at certain stages, but he always stayed and. As a point, that sort of Josh made, he's, he's kind of has this persona. You know, he maybe portrays his persona of being a hard man, but I think he's actually a really, really good footballer. And I wonder if he did go to Syria or La Liga, how he would have done. Yeah. I think he would have done really well because he
1: kind of changed as well. I think Forrest, he was more of a sort of attacking midfielder I when he, he first was, started, yeah, and I think he boxer changed boxer, his yeah. game towards the end as well. Right. Um, there's a couple of names I'll pick up myself. Just one is one of those weird things when you when you're younger and you just stick to a player regardless of what team he plays for. And he probably isn't the best, although he did make the team of the season in 1996. It was Steve Stone, because mm. I remember that build-up to Euro 96. He was brilliant. I mean, I really... I had a soft spot for that Forest team, what with Brian Roy and Stan Collymore. But Stone, I mean, in that late 95, early 96, he really was like kind of the Jamie Vardy esque kind of run he went on. Um and so I would I would pick him. I think I actually picked him in my team of the Premier League and whatever the year what decade they did over Ronaldo once, which was probably overdoing it. And obviously Gaza, I mean we've mentioned him numerous times. As a Tottenham fan, Andy, you've experienced how brilliant Gaza was. He had surely he'd get in any team of the nineties?
4: He definitely would. I was very lucky to see the the best of Gaza those first two years of the nineties prior to his injury. Um, he wasn't the same player again we, we all saw fantastic football in 96 and through other parts of the decade but it was never quite the same and the way he took us almost single-handedly to Wembley in 91 um, we struggled all the way through that cup run we were on the verge of bankruptcy the club mm-hmm. just needed that the fans needed that shining light and that was Gaza, and he took us he, he heroic performances in four or five of the games and then you know, as if to shoot himself in the foot on the cup final yeah. day um, Just got a little overexcited And uh, maybe Roger Milford could have done him a favour if Yeah, he'd have early on yeah, how to the card a bit sooner been. And
1: tried to rein him in a bit Yeah better. No, Gascoigne for me would be in my team in the 90s And I think, as I've said on this pod before I think we'll do a Gascoigne pod Just how, if at some point during the season Just because how effective he was I'm going to nice segue to Tottenham now and talk to our guest now on the phone. We're going to talk to somebody who played for Tottenham, not with Gascoigne, but uh, earlier in, in the 80s and then later in the mid 90s in the Premier League. He's former Swindon and Spurs, Mickey Hazard. Mickey, well to, welcome to Alive and Kick In. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take you back to 1990 uh, where you were at Portsmouth but we're going to go to Swindon. I know a lot of people remember you from the 80s as a Tottenham star but uh, it was quite an important part of your career the 90s at Swindon. You were there pre and post Hoddle. Tell us what it was like before Hoddle got in there and then his arrival.
0: Well obviously we had Ozzy who was a former teammate, teammate of mine before Glenn as my manager um, and obviously there was a lot of turmoil within the club because of the financial irregularities they won promotion to the Premier League and then got demoted for financial you know, irregularities, which was uh, wrong. Um, you know, the, you get promotion because you've earned it on the football mm. field, not because what somebody's doing behind the scenes. And the players and fans who suffer the greatest punishment, um, they had nothing to do with it. So it was very wrong what happened. Um, and then. Um, it was the following season having been demoted it was a t- t- I joined and it was the club was in a lot of turmoil because of obviously it was upset and disappointed at the the decision to demote them um, and it was just a case of um, hanging in there and, uh, and fighting and and hoping that it was still a very good side, but they'd lost the sword. That drive and enthusiasm of the previous season and uh, obviously it wasn't long before they lost Aussie too Um, and we had a bit of a fight on our hands to just finish mid-table and um, fortunately we did, Glenn came in when Aussie left and um, obviously another former teammate of mine and obviously another player who played the game the way I think it should be played and hopefully was going to coach and manage the way it should be played um and he didn't disappoint he came in and uh saw out the game till the end of the season um and then started afresh the following season we reported back early got ourselves super fit glenn had laid out um track routines and, mm. and, and running routines throughout the pre-season for us a lot of tour of uh finland um you know to get to get some match practice in and uh and it all paid off come the start of the season. We were flying, we were playing fantastic football, which Swindon had played over the, the, you know, the, the arrival of Ozzy, and, mm. and then Glenn continued that. And um, it went from strength to strength. Um,
1: how good was Hoddle when he came back? Was he, did he still have it? Because I remember him playing for Swindon and, and showing some glimpses. How good was yeah.
0: Hoddle when he came back? I think you should ask how good O'Dell is now. He's still one of the best players in it. He's still one of the best players in the country now at fifty-eight years of age. So um, it tells you how good he was when he came back. I think he was, I think he was about thirty-five. Um, geniuses never lose uh, their ability, and Glenn's running ability was never what made him a, gr- a great, an all-time great. Uh, he didn't rely heavily on his running ability, so. Um, the, the ball did most of Glenn's work and um, he was an absolute genius and you know when you add a very very good swimming side who play football the right way and then you add Glenn Oddle to that um, it can only get better uh, and I know he positioned himself at sweeper obviously a little bit older he positioned himself at the back gave him more time to work his magic and make the play from the back if you like and he had me sort of just ahead of him and Johnny Monker to the left of me, who, who was a, a former Spurs player brought up the Tottenham Way. And it were, really was a, a wonderful sight to play in. And um, Glenn was just still an unbelievable player, even at 35 36. Yeah, we can
1: imagine. Um, it
0: was a. It, it, Oh, it was unbelievable!
1: Yeah, and it, you played briefly in the playoff final of '93 when when Swindon went up. I mean, you played in some big games yourself for Spurs in the '80s as well. But how big was that playoff final for for Swindon and and to get into the newly found Premier League?
0: Well, I did I played every game in the. I was very, very unlucky. So I played every single game under Glenn. I think I, I, think he was manager for about eighty nine games. I played every single game, and then. Prior to the end of that season, I I developed a very bad knee. I tried to carry on playing with it. I played three or four games with it, and it was agony. And eventually, I ended up going into hospital to have operation. (laughs) It took me a little while to recover from it. It With about, I think it was about two or three games to go, I made my comeback in a six-four win at Birmingham. But every time I played, my knee swelled up incredibly, and it took days and days and days to settle down. Um, and obviously the playoffs were, were going to be sort of Saturday, Monday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Saturday. You know, so I wouldn't have been able to compete or play in all three because of the swelling in my legs. So we made the decision that I would uh, be on the bench for our three games it, uh, in case I was needed. Um, I was hoping that I wouldn't be needed because I was still in a lot of pain with my knee. Um, and in terms of how important the game was. It was massive for Swindon Town Football Club. Massive. You know, the financial rewards on offer in the Mm -hmm. Premier League uh, at that time for a club like Swindon was quite phenomenal. And to achieve that goal was absolutely just an unbelievable achievement for a small club like Swindon. Yeah, it was. Um, It was an incredible achievement. And, 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 you know, typically we did it a sort of it was almost the Spurs way really, rather than the Swindon way. And <laughs> uh, we went three 0 up in the final um at Wembley and um somehow allowed to get the, allowed them to get back to three all and then we win four three. Um typical Glen Audley scored in the final. Um and they, you know, and then you go up to the Premier League, Glenn leaves, um to go to Chelsea, which was um a massive blow to the mm. club. Um because the one manager who had sort of helped build this team and helped get this team up to the Premier League um, was leaving, and he left his. Although he left his assistant, John was a, a great coach, um, but had never been a manager, so he was very inexperienced. And, and um, obviously, first step into the Premier League for Swindon, it was a very very tough job that John had to do to keep Swindon in the Premier League. And uh, and while. In the Premier League, Sweden played fantastic football. I mean, absolutely amazing football. There was games where we were totally in control of the game, and we would, we would lose. And, and it was down to um, inexperience, really. Um, because not many of the players had played in the Premier League as such, or that, that was newly formed, the old division mm. one. Yeah. Um, you know, fact, I think I was probably the only one. I left in the October anyway to to rejoin Spurs.
1: Yeah, well, let's go uh, on to Spurs then, Mickey, and and your second spell there. I mean, how was it? We'll, we'll, we'll leave it. On. We'll, we'll sum up that now. What was it like? Right, I know it was well, the right. end of your career, and you, you know you played with a, a good team under Aussie again. What was what, what Spurs like then at that point in the nineties?
0: To be given the opportunity to come back to your your club, the club that you love, the club that you <laughs> started at as an eleven, twelve year old, the club that you had success with was a dream come true. Uh, and to then go back to a team and (laughs) it seemed that everywhere I went um, turmoil followed me because uh, Spurs were a club in turmoil, obviously the financial irregularities that had gone on at Spurs just before I came back with uh, uh, Terry Venables and Alan Sugar and and the war that had gone on, the six-point penalty that we got. um, It was a tough time at Spurs and Coming to terms with that sort of six-point penalty, it was very difficult, and um, you know we made some incredible signings um, following that Aussie's first season. Um,
1: and Klinsman being the big a, one,
0: yeah. But it was a very traumatic time that season. You know, Aussie's first season, and then the second season, we went for it. We made, you know, we signed Klinsmann, we signed Dermatrescu, Popescu, we had Anderton, we had we had Balmy, we had Sheringham, we had an unbelievable team. Now, people often say um, most teams build from the back first. You know, you, you, you want a good mm. foundation, When you're building a house, you build the foundations first and then you work your way up and, and you go to the, the forward line at the end. And the problem is in football, it doesn't quite work like that. Sometimes the player that's a world-class superstar and you've got a chance to sign him, sometimes he's got to send the back when you try to build... Yeah, sometimes it's a send it forward yeah and you 've only got you 've only got x amount of money to spend. what do you do? Do you say well, no, we won 't sign yet um uh, because we need to build from the back first,
1: yeah no that's a don't.
0: great point we 're going to get Clemson in we 're going to get thermal we 're going to get Pescue in because we can get them in, and they want to come, yeah, um so we'll have to just sign them, uh, and then next year we 'll start attacking because uh, this first thing was unbelievable going forward. But defensively, we conceded goals. Mm. And, and Jürgen Klins' first game, for instance, at Sheffield, when it Um away, we went away from all and, score, and, and had to score four goals to win.
1: Yeah, and I that remember sort of it, yeah.
0: That, yeah, that's right. That sort of summed up that year in that we were always capable of scoring incredible goals uh, and lots of them, but conceding lots. And, and as I said, football doesn't quite work out the way you want it to. You can't often build from the, the base um, because sometimes the player that's a superstar becomes available first and you have to go for it so it was a bit unlucky in that respect um, but we should have did better uh, but I genuinely believe that and I mean this sincerely because I was part of that squad and I've got to say that other than the, the early 80s team that I played in this squad of players and this team was the best team and best squad of players that I'd ever worked with
1: wow that's a compliment
0: uh, you know, fact if I take away the 81, 82, 83, 84, they, they were an unbelievable squad of players. And it was just a matter of being patient. Yeah. Um, the chairman in particular being patient, waiting for this sort of hangover of the venerable sugar re- regime to uh, diffuse itself. Yeah. Um, and then when it, it did um, get in one or two top, top dry defenders, and it was much easier to attract top top players then because we had Kinman, we had Sheringham, we had Anderton, we had Dermotresky, Dupesky, who just played in the World Cup semi final. You know, the bigger the star, the more you can attract. Those are great players.
1: Yeah, it's great, Mickie. So, unfortunately, we could talk to you all day, but we're, we're running out of time. So it was it's, it's good to think that that was one of the best the squads you've played in. So it's it,
0: it it's, was an unbelievable squad.
1: Well, thank you for, so much for joining us. No worries. Cheers. Thanks a lot.
0: See you soon. Bye. Bye, Bye.
1: Well, lots of memories there from, from Mickey, who talked very kindly of that Tottenham team, saying it was the, the best he'd ever played in, which is quite the compliment. Um, so let's talk some more about some more midfielders. I can't believe we've got this far into the pod and haven't mentioned one name who, or oh, he, he spans not the, just the 90s, but the, the thousands, the teenies, every decade I've ever been alive for, and that's Ryan Giggs. I mean, we've, we've got, I'm sitting here with three plus myself Four fans who, who don't even support Man United, but a start of Andy, I mean, you can't help but admire a guy like Ryan Giggs, can you?
4: I've seen Giggs play every year, you know, over 20-odd seasons at, at Whitehall Lane, and it's always something you look forward to. Mm. There's something about wing play that excites you, it gets you, lifts you out of your seat a bit, even if it's the other team. Um, he scored a very memorable goal, um, similar to the semi-final goal. Mm-hmm. Maisie run, you know, into the roof of the net, past the despairing Ian Walker on the day. Um, But yeah, he was just a a quality player who never let his level drop. Mm -hmm. And being at United at that time, there was no need to go overseas. He was at the top level. A lot of our players in the past have been
1: picked off by foreign clubs. He never felt the need to to leave. No, he he scored one of those goals at Loftus Road as well, put Darren Peacock on his bum. Josh has got a horrible look on his face because I said Ryan Giggs, and that's going to bring back memories of that goal.
3: 100 no, you're <laughs> right. I think every football fan probably can think of a couple of goals where they just had that horrible feeling in their stomach, and there's two in the 90s. One, even though I was young, Naeem, in that cup winners' cup final is <laughs> a, a big smile. Spurs. Very, very the Spurs fans got a wild line. smile, but yeah, good smiling. But um, that Ryan Giggs goal in that semi-final, just because at the time it was looking like the double was very much on. For the second successive season the the league was within our grasp, and we were doing well in that semi final We of course had the penalty, which Burcamp someone already mentioned missed mm. it was just an incredible goal through you know brushing off several world class you know defenders who represented their countries. It was just an amazing goal but from the rarest
4: of all Vieira eras Yeah, yeah Vieira yeah. gave away the, football the ball at...
3: Which they then sang about For a few years <laughs> At Man United Gave two gigs the ball And Arsenal won Not a lot So it was um, But look the, Away from all that Obviously One of the most you know, Amazing players But who obviously Never did what the current Wales team are Yeah to do, Which is to get to from his Yeah Maybe that's why He isn't You know seen maybe Maybe by the rest of the world mm. In quite the same way They never saw him On the international stage And he didn't manage to you know, do what you know Bale Ramsey will do.
1: Mm. Sashin, he was someone again, like you mentioned about Bonds Barnes, who kind of transitioned later in his career to a different role. But in the nineties, when Giggs got the ball on the wing, it was just one of those stand up moments, wasn't it? it, it something was always going to happen.
2: Yeah, he was a he was a proper winger, and he was also real for me. he was a really era defining player because. It felt like him and the Premier League went hand in hand You know, he, he came along And I remember all the girls at school absolutely loving him And he seemed to be in the front of magazines And he was at that point where English football was about to take off Yeah, he, he was the, the first one, wasn't he? He was the first superstar of English football Obviously, obviously he was Welsh, but playing in England And uh, he sort of caught the moment perfectly for his career mm. to sort of take off And there'll be people of a certain age Might find this hard to believe But he was bigger than David Beckham really yeah, easy. a few yeah. years before Beckham came along And obviously stole the limelight But he was a great player And I remember in the early noughties United fans saying he's finished, and he went on for another ten years. But in the nineties, he was utterly thrilling. And the goal, the goal at White Hart Lane, and it's an iconic goal, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I can sort of visualise it now. And um, yeah, obviously him on the one side, and can Chelsea on the other, and you just wonder if you'll see
4: players like that because teams just don't play with traditional wingers yeah. anymore. And he, mm. He's you know not just a phenomenal player, but perhaps a dying breed as well. Mm. He adapted so well. Yeah, football changed across those twenty years, yeah. and, and he was a constant all the mm. way through.
1: Yeah. We, we, you're talking wingers there's three names and scenes I've got three fans of these players in my head that I'm talking. I'm thinking about firstly from Spurs point of view David Ginola yeah. who we've talked a lot about on this pod but he won PFA Player of the Year in 1999 again another entertainer yeah I mean that was a bit of a misnomer that season I think he United
4: players split the vote mm, by you know, yeah. taking votes off each other, yeah. and Ginola somehow managed to tot up a few extra. He did get the Football Writers' Award, that year as well? I think he did Yeah, I think um, he did. But he actually didn't really do that lot. He only scored seven goals. He just score that so goal against yeah, Barnsley. Yeah, seven, yeah. Yeah. Only a three in the league that season. Oh, I wow. think there was the Cup run. Um, that the Barnsley goal was at yeah. that? Year, yeah, that though, was, yeah, the yeah, FA yeah. Cup goal. Yeah. Such a, a memorable goal. Yeah, but, mm. but Chris Waddle's a name that's not. Yeah, early 90s. He won a Football Writers' Award. Yeah. Uh, in that period and, and he was fantastic. We we didn't see him in the nineties so much at Tonham but mm. he shone at Sheffield Wednesday yeah. was an absolute. And even star, at Marseille, I mean
1: football. he was a massive we didn't player. see enough
4: Champions League football for mm. those days to realise what
1: a star he was for them. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And from the Arsenal point of view, a player that I used to love to watch and again we didn't see him into the Premier League as much as we'd hoped to. It was Mark Overmars.
3: Yeah, and an incredible player who didn't start that brilliantly either. A bit like Dennis Burkham he mm. took a bit of time to adapt to English football. But come the end of that ninety-seven, ninety-eight season, was you know one of the focal points and one of the most memorable goals of that season was yeah. the one 0 victory at Old Trafford, which he scored. And then I think he scored the first goal in the cup final against Newcastle that season. So you know a, a scorer of big goals and a start of a period at Arsenal where we were sort of blessed with you know, good foreign wingers mm. sort of over Mars. Then led on to sort of Perez and Lundberg and, you know, w- was brilliant. But again, left the club after about only about a hundred games. Yeah. Uh, went to Barcelona. I think was became the uh, most expensive Dutch footballer of all time at that point. But then didn't really, you know, was part of a couple of years at Barcelona where they didn't really win anything, and then retired from injury. I think in about two thousand and four. So. We probably got the best of him. Yeah. Um, as we did, you know, with, with probably Petit and, you know, both going at the same time to Barcelona. It was a shame. You sort of wonder what, what might have been. Could we have done a bit better at Arsenal had we hung on to them and, you know, those couple of years where United you know, won trophies? But there we go. Mm.
1: And then from the Liverpool point of view, Robbie's mate, Shaggy himself, Steve McManaman, he's another player I think I've said it on before. So underrated.
2: Yeah, un- underrated and underappreciated by Liverpool fans yeah. actually. He never had a song. um he was never really that loved by the fans I've spoken to fellow Liverpool fans and Nobody really quite knows why He was a local lad He, he did really well I think it was his style He didn't seem like he was giving you a lot But he mm. was and for, about, for that decade For the 90s He was arguably Liverpool's most consistent player He was the best player in the 92 FA Cup final He was the best player in the 95 yeah. Coca-Cola Cup final um, He was a winger But actually was at his best in that free role. I spoke about earlier when, when Roy Evans came in in, in 94 and, and went to the 3-5-2 And he was just floating behind Fowler and Collie and unlike Barnes, he actually did it at international level. Euro 96, he was really good as well. And going into the noughties, I know we should talk about the noughties, but he went to Real Madrid and was brilliant for them as well. Which
1: doesn't happen very yeah, often so for English really players.
2: Exactly, a real rare feat. I think he was Man of the match in the scored? 2000s. Yeah, and he in scored, the yeah. the Champions League Trust. final Yeah, against Valencia in Paris. So, really, really good player. Totally good, very underrated, underappreciated. Um... And like Keane He's sort of doing Quite well as a pundit Now as well Yeah
1: So we're going to Just before we go Because I know Josh has got to be Off as well um, We are just going To go abroad And talk uh, What I did uh, uh, Before We're going to Go around the table And just mention A name or a couple Of names of players Outside of the Premier League That you may want To mention So let's start with Andy Anyone from abroad Of those men I mean I've got a few Names here But I'll let you guys Go first before I Mention them So anyone you would Pick from abroad You look
4: at players Who shone at the the Major tournaments in, In those eras Um, So Mateus in 90 was was outstanding He was probably most like Roy Keane Mm -hmm. Of the players that that played in in that time Um, But he really, really shone The Brazil side in 94 didn't so much have um, Dunga uh, Yeah, you know, more (laughs) defensive But but they didn't really have anyone who shone like that But
1: uh, yeah no, that's a good shot I've got my taste written down here Josh, what, what would you say If you were going abroad You're going more mid-90s now But Karol Boborski We're going back to For Euro 96 <laughs> Well, it
3: was a, an amazing trip Yeah <laughs> no, I think if there's a, one International goal From the 90s That I'll always remember it, It's probably like Roberto Carlos' free kick In mm. Le tournois. In Le Tournois, mm. it was just well, Probably the last thing England won yeah. actually. In the international football Just a goal That you, you still you know Struggle to Are, are you shoehorning him As a midfielder then? I'm not. I don't know, I don't know I'm sort of attacking wing back. Okay, I'll let you off. <laughs> we go, we go on that? Um, I did pre- briefly lose my, lose my bearings here, <laughs> um, And then I guess you you just look to sort of the the great teams of of the World Cup in France, and that would be Zidane, who yeah. will just you know forever be one one of the greats, and you know alongside you know skulls. You know, there's always that famous quote. Sorry that Zidane said. You know, being referred to himself as the best player of the. Of, of the generation, he said that Paul Skull was. And I think between the two of them, they, they probably it's have some that. midfield, wouldn't it? Sorry? Some centre
1: midfield, that isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think between the two of them, they probably got it covered.
1: Yeah, yeah. tackling wouldn't be their strong. No, Paul, definitely not for Paul Skull. Letting no. a few red cards. Yeah. <laughs> so, from abroad, who would you plump for?
2: Yeah, I'm going to pick someone who did play in England, but I'm not going to pick him for what he did in England, and that's Marcel Dessay. Mm. He was part of one of my favourite, I say favourite club sides. It's quite an easy thing to say because they were brilliant, but that Milan side of the yeah. mid '90s and he was in that midfield with uh, Albertini and I used to when you know, Gazzetta was on I absolutely adored watching Milan play and he was sort of Vieira before Vieira you know marauding midfielder and obviously you forget that because he played centre half for Chelsea but he was a centre midfielder for, for Milan and he was just just you know he used to just run the midfield when he played he was just an absolute monster getting up and down the pitch and, and you forget 93 also won the European Cup with Marseille as well yep. so he was hugely successful Uh, was part of the France 98 World Cup winning team as well although he was sent off in the final which some people might forget Mm. but no I used to love watching Dassault when I was young
1: no, have no, a good show that Milan team as well we think you think Hullet and, fair, and Rijkaard as well and Hullet who later played yeah, and, and got in one of the team of the seasons as well yeah, okay so we've gone I mean the only name that I, you guys didn't mention there I mean we did a strikers pod and two guys we didn't mention because they, they they sort of play a role I suppose now you'd call it Cam sort of centre attacking midfield, and that's Stoich, Goff, and Hadji they were kind of in between not quite an out and out striker not quite a midfielder but they're two different names that were brilliant for the 90s and we'll talk more about them probably at our USA 94 pod um, and the only other name is just because I thought Again, bit of the unknown in, in USA '94, and it's my favourite World Cup. Uh, JJ Akotia, because the skills that he had.
2: We did the Bolton as well. Yeah, you,
1: right? later on in Absolutely. Bolton, but that cool. Nigeria team with the bright ginger head as yeah. well. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was some player. Right, we have got to go. But I'm just going to say, is there anyone? I'm looking at all three of the anyone we haven't even given a mention to that you just want to say could be you know one of the midfielders of the '90s. Anyone want to yeah. throw? Good. Don't so fight I to mention uh,
2: Rude really quickly. Yeah, because, go. For um, it. Josh was saying earlier about Burke being the first front. I remember mean, when Hullett signed for Chelsea in ninety and five. I'm not a Chelsea fan, obviously, but I was incredibly excited by um, him coming because he was a proper world world class footballer and to see him yeah. coming to, to come to England. Yeah. You know, he wasn't at his peak; it's a bit beyond his peak. But seeing a name like that come to England felt very very exciting and. Yeah, I thought he was great for the. He you know, mm. did, did well in England as well As a player He
1: got in one yeah. of the team, And I think yeah. he was a big deal I remember when he signed And all the hullet wigs That I Chelsea fans were in news that night Yeah, it was such a it. it was up there with the Klinsman yeah. Andy, Josh, anyone else You want to briefly mention? I'm going to jump in And say Beckham before Josh Yeah, we <laughs> haven't said his name It's incredible yeah. that we didn't He was the other player Who made the, the team of the year Three yeah. times
4: um, In my opinion The best balanced midfield That I've ever seen yeah. Was Beckham, Giggs, Keane and Scholes oh, yeah. It had absolutely everything Everything Uh, Beckham's crossing Was just second to none Um, He's still got it I mean Just look at the charity game A couple of weeks ago And the partnership He had with Gary Neville Both at England And at United Um, I think sometimes The celebrity Overtakes our memory he was a phenomenal footballer yeah.
1: who was so consistent. That's a great point. I think I, I have this argument with a friend of mine so consistently how David Beckham's. I still think he's slightly underrated because what he could do with a football, like you said in that charity game the other week, he can still ping in across and yeah, and absolutely, you'd be easy to shout and he should have been mentioned earlier. Yep, David Beckham, Josh. Anyone else or did he steal your thunder at the end there?
3: Well, I I asked him <laughs> about him. Have we spoken about Beckham yet? <laughs> um, and in reply, I've got. Glenn Hilder, <laughs> which is um, a, an option. So he was really the only other foreign player we had at Arsenal. And as Limpar? Um, oh, was that bit, that's before no, ninety three? When, yeah. when, when I was looking at when Burkamp started play, he was the other sort of main foreign player at the time, and, and didn't quite reach the heights, and, and was obviously replaced by a much better Dutch winger a few years later, in Mark yeah. Overmars. But um, no, I think we I think we've covered it. I think you've yep. done a, a great. Uh, so we to everyone. the 90s yeah. midfielders yeah. and a one very good attacking left back from
1: Brazil <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we should hold him in it's fine we can talk more about him in our defenders podcast I think again we look for those teams like we said Gary McCaster, Batty and Speed those are Leeds players but yes I think we have covered everyone. so it's my job now thank you guys Andy, Josh, Sachin thank you again for coming pleasure. on pleasure um, a couple more things before we go we have a competition running on the Twitter feed at the moment um, for a Colt Zeros t-shirt which is a brilliant website where you can get a, a face of your favourite football or whatever era on a t-shirt I've got one mm. of myself of, like I said before, of course, of Roy Weggerly, um, All you need to do is just go onto the Twitter feed and click on the link and sign up. And then you will be put into the competition and I will draw the winners next on next week's pod. Um, but until then, next week we'll be talking defenders. So we'll look forward to that. So keep it 90s.
3: This podcast is a West 12 Media and Burble Media production.
0: Alive and Kicking is proudly supported by Classic Football Shirts, the home of classic, rare and retro football shirts. For 100% genuine non-reproduction retro shirts, head to classicfootballshirts.co.uk and use the bonus code AK90s to receive a 10% discount on your order.